city, a beautiful city, just beyond the divide, where God's children shall rest eternal, there will ever abide. Daily striving to reach that homeland, we are going that way. Heading for glory, telling the story, we shall see heaven someday. We shall see Jesus someday, by and by. Someday, someday these eyes shall behold Him in that city on high. We must not linger, we must keep moving, Jesus is leading the way. Shouting and singing, joy bells ringing, we shall stay. Like the saints who have gone before us, we're determined to stay. In the path that is straight and narrow, leading us forward each day. Though we have problems, Jesus is faithful, all our needs to supply. The time is now nearing for His appearing and for our heavenly flight. Someday, someday we shall see Jesus, someday by and by. Someday, someday these eyes shall behold Him in that city on high. We must not linger, we must keep moving, Jesus is leading the way. Shouting and singing, joy bells ringing, we shall see heaven someday. Someday, someday, we shall see Jesus someday by and by. Someday, someday, these eyes shall behold Him in that city on high. We must not linger, we must keep moving, Jesus is leading the way. Shouting and singing, joy bells ringing, we shall see heaven someday. Someday, 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 someday.
church this Sunday morning. Take your song handouts, page number 260, How Tedious and Tasteless the Hours. How tedious and tasteless the human nature, how that no matter how many times we learn, we still try to fill that purpose and that longing in our life with something that really amounts to nothing. And the only thing that can fill that hole, that can meet that need is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad that the Holy Spirit comes along from time to time and reminds us of that. And I'm glad that uh, we have this great hymn written by Brother Newton that also We can sing it. I've been singing this and had this in my heart ever since we started learning it. And it's just continually reminding me of how precious and how important my relationship with Jesus Christ is. Far above anything else that that I get deceived and think is important. So let's continue on this great hymn, verse number two, How Tedious and Tasteless the Hours. Welcome to the service today.
good. A new song for us, page number 70. Holy, holy, holy. I'm going to have the pianist play through it here. Kind of follow through in the first verse. And then we'll come back and we'll sing the whole song. Holy, holy, holy. sing the whole song here on the first. Here we go. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty Early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee Holy, holy, holy Merciful and without the piano and let's sing it not to each other but let's sing this to the Lord on this last verse brother Glenn holy 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 Lord God almighty all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea holy 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 merciful and mighty god in three persons blessed trinity 
All right, you may be seated. If you uh, sang that from your heart, then uh, you just worshiped. And uh, praise the Lord. That is definitely an important part of our worship of the Lord. It's good to see everyone here this morning. Um, hope you have had a good week. If you haven't had a good week, I certainly hope that today will be a help, a blessing, and an encouragement to you. I know I'm certainly glad to be in church today and uh, looking forward to seeing what God's going to do in our hearts. By way of announcements, Wednesday at 7 p.m., Bible study, and uh, we are going to, uh, Lord willing, I, I can't make you a promise here, but I'm planning right now of moving into the book of First Thessalonians, and so I'm certainly praying about that and preparing as if that's what the Lord wants, and so... Uh, one way or another, come and join us at 7 on Wednesday. We will study the Bible. And then also youth group meets at 7, and then Master Club also will be uh, going on, Lord willing, on Wednesday as well. Uh, Saturday at noon, street ministry, meet at the parking lot uh, near the Verizon store over in the Walmart area. And then uh, Saturday at 7, ladies' prayer meeting, and then 8 o'clock is the men's prayer meeting. I want to just let you know what an encouragement last night was. We called a very special prayer meeting in light of all of the spiritual warfare that so many people have been going through and uh, had a great response to that. I, I believe between both the ladies group and the men's group, we had somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 that came on a Saturday night. And I know that many of you took the challenge and you prayed during that time period while you were at home. And so I believe that God is honored by that. And I'm, I feel pretty confident that something good and something lasting, something godly will be the result of our special attention on prayer. And I would encourage all of us to continue to have a spirit of prayer and to realize that we are in a battle and uh, the devil is trying to destroy people's lives, people's families, people's uh, homes, uh, everything about it. He's trying to destroy our testimony and our effectiveness for Christ. And so uh, one of the great weapons and strategies that we have is to stay before the Lord in prayer because we're no match for him, but he's no match for our God. And then also, upcoming October 3rd, Evangelist Mark Rogers will be with us. More information will be coming on that. Uh, during the month of October, at least the first three weeks, uh, Brother Tom and Sister Chris Gear will be with us. More information will be coming on that. And then also, a special note, October 10th through the 13th, special meeting with Evangelist Tim Green. And I'd like to ask you to really put some special prayer and attention on that and maybe start working on some people that are lost or have spiritual needs to try to get them here to that meeting. Brother Tim uh, is a man of God, and he walks with the Lord, and he's real. And uh, that's one thing I can promise you. I've been around Brother Tim in all different kinds of settings, around different crowds, I've been around so many preachers that they act one way when they're around this crowd, a different way when they're around this crowd, and I can promise you that it doesn't matter what the setting is, I have observed consistently on literally probably a hundred occasions that Brother Tim Green is real, and he is what he appears to be, and he, um, I, I appreciate that about him, and he's a great um I guess old school preacher of God's word, and we need old school in this day and age that we live in. So please be praying about that, 
that God will do a special work in our heart with that meeting with Brother Tim Green. All right, let's sing our last hymn. Uh, Back of your handout, hold the fort, get your Bible ready so that we can wave that answer back to heaven on the chorus. Let's stand. congregation than I saw just now. Please grab your Bibles. Don't be self-conscious because everyone's doing it. I'm doing it too, all right? Grab your Bibles. On that course you saw, we're going to wave the answer back to heaven. If you have the answer, grab it in your hands. Here we go. On the second verse. Here we go. by our Temple Baptist men's group.
take our Bibles, go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 32. Deuteronomy 32. I had something I wanted to say before I started preaching, and then I started thinking about what I was preaching, and now I don't remember what I was going to say. So, just trust me, it was really, really good. Make everybody feel better? All right, praise the Lord. (laughs) It will probably come to me about the time I get home and hit my recliner this afternoon. All right, well, I've got a message for you that really I, I feel pretty confident that the Holy Spirit laid it upon my heart, and the more that I started studying and preparing, the more that I just felt that the Holy Spirit was confirming that. And so uh, I certainly hope that we have a message that will be helpful today, and I've been praying that the Lord would help me to present it to you in uh, in a good way to where it can be well-received and uh, put into practice, because I do believe that this is a very timely and a very relevant message to uh, what we are going through in this day and age that we live. Our message is out of Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 15 through 20, but before we actually read our text, there's a couple of verses that I'd like us to read in preface that will kind of give us a little bit of context to our text. Deuteronomy 31 and verse number 19, now therefore write ye this song for you and teach it the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. Our text will be out of the song of Moses and this song, God actually gave it to Moses and told him to write it. So we find here that God is telling Moses about this song. If you look with me in verse number 22 of chapter 31, it says, Moses therefore wrote this song the same day and taught it 
the children of Israel. And then in verse number 30, and Moses spake in the ears of all the congregation of Israel, the words of this song until they were ended. Now, the entire chapter is the song of Moses, but we've selected for today's message uh, verse number 20, excuse me, verse number 15 down through verse number 20. So let's read our text this morning. But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art not, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. And when the Lord saw it, He abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. As I pause there, I must confess that I see God treating America this way today. I see America has waxed fat and we've been unmindful of the rock of our salvation, the foundation of this nation. We have rejected it. We have discovered new gods and new ways of thinking and new beliefs and so forth. And God has treated us the same way that he did the nation of Israel. He just simply has backed off and said, I will see what their end shall be. As we finish our text, he says, For they are a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. I want to preach this morning on the topic, When You Lose Faith. Let's pray. Father, it is indeed good to be in church today. We're thankful for your presence Lord, you don't have to meet with us today. Uh, You are not obligated to. But Lord, if you would be gracious, if you would be merciful, Lord, if you would help us today, we would be thankful because we certainly need your presence. May this message find a place in hearts. May it accomplish what you want it to accomplish. And may we speak it clearly. Help us, Lord, to make good use of our time Lord, uh, help us to preach it in the spirit and the manner in which you would have it preached. Lord, help us from on high. Uh, God, we desperately need you. Open up hearts and minds to receive the word of God today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you were to read the entire Song of Moses and just the portion that we read today, it's obvious that the Song of Moses is not a praise and worship song. It's a very convicting song. In verse number 15, Moses refers to Israel as Jeshurun. And that is a name that is assigned to Israel. And the term or the word, excuse me, the name Jeshurun simply means right or upright. Now, in light of the context of what God is saying about Jeshurun, obviously this is an example 
of irony and sarcasm in human language for the purpose of making a point. God calls them upright and then goes on to explain how unupright they are. And I know that's not proper language, but I think you get the point. They are not walking upright. This is sarcasm. This is God trying to make a point that you are not what you are supposed to be. In Jeremiah 5, verse number 31, it says, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. And what will ye do in the end thereof? We live in a generation of Christianity where preachers tell the people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. The Song of Moses certainly would not go over well in a modern Christian church in America today. Too sarcastic, too negative, too pointed, too straightforward, and certainly too convicting. People today want to hear what they want to hear so that they can live however they want to live and feel good about it. I've got news for you. You can do that. You can seek out any belief, and you can hear only what you want to hear, and you can deceive yourself into feeling good about the way that you're living. But I remind you that the Bible says on numerous occasions, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And that's why God said, I will see what their end shall be. It's God's way of saying, Israel, you can do whatever you want, and I will back off, and I will watch and observe. But when it's all said and done, God says, let me know how that works for you. I would say to us as Christians today, let me know how it's going to work for us. Because the way that we think that things are going to pan out when we reject the counsel of the Word of God, uh, we're going to find out that God was not as antiquated and archaic as we thought. He knew what He was talking about, and His men, like Moses and all of the men of God in the Word of God, always ended up being criticized, but when it was all said and done, what they said was right and it was true. Now notice the root of all of Israel's problems. It's in verse number 20. The problem is, is they were children in whom is no faith. Their problem was a faith problem. Now the word faith appears 231 times in the Bible. Now it's interesting to note that the word faith only appears two times in the Old Testament. And this is one of them. The other place that we find the word faith is in Habakkuk's prophecy. Habakkuk 2 verse number 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but, a contrast here, the just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk's prophecy is a twofold application or a double application, if you will. It has a primary, immediate context. He's telling the people to whom he's prophesying that you're not living upright, but if you want to live upright, then you're going to have to live by faith. But it's also a prophecy of the future, just like I've already pointed out. The word faith only appears two times in the Old Testament. 
the prophet knew, or I don't know if the prophet fully understood, but as the inspiration of the Holy Spirit put these words in Habakkuk's heart and mind and in on his pen, obviously God is pointing toward the future that when Jesus Christ comes and dies on the cross, then the law and living by the law is going to end and the characteristic of God's children today is a life of living by faith. Romans chapter 1 verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written. And folks, Habakkuk's prophecy is the only place you find this written. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. I submit to you this morning that we are saved by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Just as we are saved by faith, faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the same faith that we are supposed to live our life by each and every day that we are on this planet. But our message today is when you lose faith. Our message today is not if you lose faith. It is when you lose faith. Because my personal opinion is that each and every one of us at one time or another or two times at another or three times or another, we have times when we lose faith. And faith can indeed be lost. Jesus himself, when he was with the disciples and they're rowing and toiling out on the sea and the storm comes and the waves are high and they are in danger and they cry out and they are, they are crying out to Jesus. And he said in Luke 8 verse 25, he said unto them, where is your faith? He didn't say to them, you have no faith. He said, where? is your faith. They had it, but in the circumstance, in their fear and in their feelings, they lost it. And he said, where is it? Because it sure doesn't seem to be here at this moment. And so I have several points for you this morning that are indicators that we can know when we have lost faith. Number one, when you lose faith... You blame others for your problems. I would say from experience as, excuse me, as a pastor, as a man who has spent much of his life in a position of responsibility and authority, I have noticed very um, frequently through the years of ministry that more often than not, people blame others for their problems and usually it boils down to the authority. Are we not seeing in our culture today that people who are doing things that they ought not do, breaking the law, committing crimes, being, uh, you know, doing anything but loving their neighbor, and when they get in trouble with the authority, then it's always the, the law enforcement's fault, right? They didn't, it's their fault that I did what I did and so forth. And so it always boils down to when we lose faith, In one way or another, we're going to figure out a way to blame others for our problems. Now, in light of a verse that I already mentioned, Jesus in the ship with the disciples, 
They're crying out. They're scared for their life. And he said, where is your faith? In Mark's gospel of the same incident, Mark 4.38, he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, watch this, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Notice how that in their loss of faith, they are figuring out a way to make an indictment, an accusation against the creator of the universe, the word of God who was made flesh, the word who created all things, the eternal Christ. They are saying, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Lord, you don't care about us. We're afraid. The the storm is going to kill us and you're just fast asleep. You didn't even care. Now, we know the rest of the story, but at that moment, they did not. Jesus knew what was going to happen. When Jesus said, let's get into the ship and we're going to the other side, if they would have had faith, then they could have took Jesus at his word and they could have just sat and enjoyed. The, I mean, the, the, the storm and the ship, you, you know that people pay hundreds of dollars to go to an amusement park, to strap themselves into a roller coaster so that they can have the thrill and the adrenaline of the ride. If they would have had faith, they could have just sat down in the ship and they could have went, Woo! Oh, here's a big one coming up. Woo! Man, that one almost turned us upside down. They could have enjoyed it because the Creator, the Master said, We're going to go to the other side. But they lost their faith, and they started living by their feelings. Then they started making false accusation against Jesus, saying, Carest thou not that we perish? You know, in our text here, Moses is writing this song, and Jeshurun, Israel, has waxed fat, and yeah, they kicked, and yeah, they complained, and you can account for a minimum of 14 times where Israel finds themselves in some very difficult circumstances, food, water, worrying about their kids, and 14 times they blame Moses for their problems. And you talk about false accusations. Oh, you let us out here, Moses, so that we could be consumed with thirst. You let us out here so that our children can be a prey to the inhabitants. I mean, you just brought us out here so that all of our kids can get killed by the giants. And Moses, the whole time, Moses remembers all of the slavery and he remembers the, the the scars and the bloody stripes on their back as those Egyptian taskmasters were daily beating them to a bloody pulp because they weren't getting enough work done. And their cry was in bitter bondage and God raised up a man, Moses, and delivered them. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw all of the mighty, wonderful works of God, miracle after miracle, And yet they still, when things didn't go their way, they end up accusing Moses and ultimately they were accusing God. Number two, when you lose faith, 
you start living for immediate gratification. I I will say this, faith doesn't always require patience, but it usually requires patience. I want to remind all of us that God works, but he doesn't work on the same time frame as we want him to work. God doesn't get all, I mean, we have sleepless nights and we get all stressed and worried and anxiety rules our heart and all of these things, but you know what? God has never, never had any stress as to the outcome. He's never worried about any of that. He's always been in control, and he always will be in control, by the way. But we, in today's culture, we are so accustomed to immediate gratification now that reminds me just now, didn't even think about it while I was studying and preparing, but now's a good time to say it. Parents, as you raise your children, don't give in like almost every other parent is and think that you have to give your children what they want when they want it. You don't have, they don't have to experience the privileges of life younger and younger and younger and this whole generation is just a child wants something, and so parents think, well, I'm going to give it to him. When the parent, if he were wise, would say, you know what, one of these days you're going to get to do that, but not yet. You're going to have to get older. You're going to have to wait and teach and train your children that life is about delayed gratification, waiting for things to be right. You know, when Satan tempted the Lord Jesus Christ, everything he tempted him with were all things that Jesus had the right to. But the problem was, is it wasn't the right time. Jesus is going to be king. Jesus is going to own all of the kingdoms of this world. But he knew that I've got to go through the cross first. I've got to wait on my heavenly Father because that time is in His hands and His hands alone. And so Jesus was able to use the Word of God. The devil works in trying to get us in a mindset that we have to have immediate gratification. A great example is in the Gospels. The Apostle Peter, Luke chapter 22 and verse number 31. Watch what the Lord says to Peter. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus knew, I I don't know how much that, that God the Father revealed to the Lord what Peter was going to do. I don't know that at that moment that the Son of God and the Son of Man, God manifest in the flesh, if if he had full prophetic understanding of exactly what Peter was going to do and how he was going to respond. He did say, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. He knew that much. But I don't know the details. But one thing I do know that Jesus knew Peter. And he understood that there was something wrong in Peter's heart. Peter was following the Lord because he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. 
The average Jew during Jesus' day was looking for the Messiah. They wanted a deliverer. They weren't looking for a lamb. They weren't looking for a sacrifice for their sins. They're looking for a king. Because they had not had a king for over 400 years. They were no longer a kingdom. They were under Roman occupation. Caesar and Herod and Pilate were governors and kings that were ruling over them. And so they were anxiously awaiting for God to send the Messiah, the king that would come in and rescue them. And that's what Peter was looking for. And when, when Jesus told P, uh, Peter that, hey, when we go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of the Jews and they're going to crucify me. Peter was like, uh-uh, not if I've got anything to say about it. Far be it from thee, O Lord. Peter starts rebuking Jesus saying, no, that's not going to happen. You, you didn't come to be, to, to be murdered. You came to be our king. We've given all, up all. We've given up our, 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 our possessions. We've given up, we've walked away from family and occupations and all. We've given it all up for you and you're telling us that you're going to go and be killed? Peter had a faith failure and that's why Jesus said, I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Now, aren't you glad that even though Jesus knew that Peter's faith would fail, that he'd lose faith, that Peter would recover? Jesus said, and when thou art converted. He didn't say if. He believed in Peter. He knew and he recognized that, hey, Peter, you're messed up in your thinking. You're wrong. You've got some problems. You're going to have to suffer a lot because of this. But I believe in you that you're going to come out on the other end stronger and better. You're going to be a better leader. And when you are converted, Jesus said, strengthen your brethren. You know what? If you've lost faith today, I've got good news for you. Get it back. Get back on track. Start trusting God because you can learn from the experience, the futility of walking by sight of trying to take control of your life and make things happen and manipulate the outcome. Listen, you're going to be insecure. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to have anxiety and depression. If you try to make everything happen under your own power, looking for immediate gratification rather than just doing the right things and letting God take care of the outcome. That is the life of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We could certainly spend all week looking at Hebrews 11 and how time after time after time there were men and women who didn't choose the road of immediate gratification They took the hard road of faith, the thing that made no sense whatsoever, and they trusted God, and through faith, they did mighty, miraculous things. We have the same privilege today if we will just walk by faith. You lose faith when you start living for immediate gratification. Number three. When you lose faith, you reject the old and you look for something new. 
Look at our text once again in verse number 17. Verse 17 in the Song of Moses, it says, They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. In verse 28, it says, For they are a nation void of counsel, neither is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. Listen, I, I, I don't, I may be preaching to the choir today, but beyond the walls of this auditorium, anyone who would listen to this message, I think that it's fair to say that Christianity today is typified by something new. We have new methods. We have new approaches. We have new music and we have all of these things and Really, the, the, the gist of modern Christianity is that the old school guys were all a bunch of just hardline Pharisees. They were all just a bunch of legalists. And thankfully, we've been liberated from all of their standards and convictions and all of their negativity. And we found a new way. Of, we have discovered a form of Christianity that has been lost for some 2,000 years. You know, they don't come out and say that. But if you're observant enough, you can recognize that in their message and in their methods, that's exactly what they're saying. Out with the old and in with the new. And God says, old that they would be children with understanding. They're a nation void of counsel. You know what the problem is, is that the people who have counsel today, the people who have wisdom that comes from the whole Word of God, that's not who this generation is listening to. I was thinking, I remember what I was going to say. When we were singing, hold the fort for I am coming, wave the answer back to heaven. If they sang that song in a modern church today, you wouldn't see any Bibles waving. It'd be waving their cell phone. Say, so, well, maybe they're, maybe they got an online, you know, Bible program. I don't know. You wave your cell phone. You could be waving the answer back to heaven. That could be the scripture. It could be Facebook. It could be, some kind of news application. It could be, it mean a lot of different things, but that's exactly what would happen. They'd be waving their cell phones back to heaven. Because in today's generation, that is to them the answer. Hey, look, if you, if you want to hear what you want to hear and you want to live the, however you want to live, just Google it. You'll find somebody that'll tell you what you want to hear. And they'll tell it in a way that sounds so wise and so smart. But the whole time, God's sitting back saying, Oh, that they would listen to my counsel. Oh, that they would receive from me a heart of understanding. Listen, folks, Romans 10 verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Listen, we have lost faith today because we've rejected the old and we're looking for something new. This book right here is the source of our faith. When we reject this book, 
we lose faith. And notice the wording. It's not just that you read, you can, you know, you can read your Bible faithfully every day and still lose faith. Listen, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Notice that really important word in there called hearing. If we're going to have faith, the source is the word of God. But the only way that this Bible produces faith in our heart and in our life is if we hear it, if we listen to it. Well, I just don't feel that I want to live my life that way. What does the book say? You know, chapter and verse. Don't you believe that every single one of us that are saved, that every single thing we do in life ought to have a foundation in the principles of the Word of God? A Methodist preacher said it like this, It is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. I don't know anything about that Methodist preacher, but I have to say, amen. He's got the spirit of our age pegged to a T. Point number four this morning. When you lose faith, you become ungrateful and unmindful. Look at our text once again, Deuteronomy 32, verse number 15. It says, But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Verse 18, of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Hey, what happens when we lose faith? We become unmindful of God. We become ungrateful of God. You start expecting things from God and others as if you deserve it. When your expectations are not met, you either become a tyrant or you become a victim. One or the other. Listen, appetites become the ruling factor rather than principles. The Apostle Paul warned the church at Philippi of this very thing. Philippians 3 verse 18, he said, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now, let me just say this. When Paul says their God is their belly, he's not just talking about food there. He's talking about natural appetites. And when natural appetites rule our life rather than faith, then 
whatever that appetite is, it becomes our God. Paul goes on to say, for our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We become unmindful, we become ungrateful, expecting what we expect rather than being grateful for what we get. There was a man in New Jersey that owned a restaurant. He was more concerned with profit than quality of his product and service. One day while he was in the kitchen, he was stricken with severe chest pains. They called 911 and the paramedics soon arrived. After they had, uh, you know, done all of what they do and got him on the gurney, they were wheeling him out to the ambulance. As they're wheeling him through the restaurant, he motioned to his son to come close. He whispered in a weak, raspy voice. What did he say? He said, make sure they cut the roast beef really thin. Do you get the picture, folks? Here he is. He's got a life-threatening situation. And all he can think about is his agenda and his control over that agenda. When we lose faith, then we become ungrateful and unmindful of God. We try to take control over areas that we have no control over. Number five, when you lose faith, you worry more about what others think. Uh, excuse me, you worry more about what others think of you than what God thinks of you. In Second Corinthians 5, verse number 6, Paul said, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, watch this, we may be accepted of Him. You know, if we're living according to faith, we know that, hey, no matter what happens to us, if we're walking by faith, then we could die any day. But it's not going to matter what we didn't get accomplished. It's not going to matter what we wanted in life, that our dreams and our ambitions were unfulfilled. It's not going to matter because we know that we are laboring not for what we want, but for what He wants. And if we do that, we know that we're going to be accepted of Him. But when we lose faith, all we can think about is what others think of us. And we start living our life based upon their opinion and worldly popularity. And we start living for the here and the now rather than the there and the then. And then one last point, number six. When you lose faith, you give up easily. Luke 18, verse number six. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? This is the story of the unjust judge and, 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 and the woman that's just pestering him and trying to get what, you know, come on, hear my case. And she just, she won't quit. She won't shut up. You ever had, you ever had somebody do you that way? I mean, they want something and you, they're not going to get it unless you approve. And boy, they just, 
they're going to figure out a new way and they just continually pester you, kind of like Delilah did Samson. Now that's a negative side of it, but Jesus is telling this story that when we pray, if we're going to have faith, then it's not just a one-time thing. Listen, I, I prayed. I, man, I, I've got things that I've prayed a thousand times for and God hasn't answered my prayer yet. Do I lose faith or do I continue to knock? Do I continue to try to get God's attention? Hey, God, I haven't quit. I'm still trusting you. You haven't answered me yet. You haven't done what I'm asking you to do, but I believe that you will. I'm not quitting, Lord. I still have faith. Boy, the devil will come along and say, God doesn't care. God's never going to answer that prayer. You're wasting your time. Listen, if it's something worth praying for, keep praying. Amen? If you've got a lost loved one or a wayward loved one, look, keep praying. Don't think that God's not hearing your prayer. God may be doing a hundred times more than we even know. But he's just not bothering to let us in on it. You know why? Because he cares more about our prayer than he cares about our feelings. When you lose faith, you give up easily. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, watch this. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith in the earth? Hey, when Jesus comes back, listen, we're in the perilous times. Everything about our culture, and I'm not talking about them, I'm talking about Christian culture. It's right there in in Paul's letter to Timothy. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, etc., etc., etc. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. We see it all throughout Christianity. You know what the problem is? God's not doing the miraculous things that He did yesterday. He's withdrawn, just like He did with Jeshurun in our text. He's just stepped back and said, all right, let's see what the end is. That doesn't mean that He doesn't care. That doesn't mean that He doesn't hear. That doesn't mean that He's not in His time and in His way going to answer our prayers. In 1660, John Bunyan was put in prison for preaching a very unpopular gospel. Uh, What gospel was that, preacher? The one we preach? The Bible one? (laughs) The real one? At times he questioned God, but he didn't give in to his doubts and fears. And through his experience and the testing of his faith, He wrote one of the most influential Christian books of all time, Pilgrim's Progress. I wonder, I I read that and I thought, man, that's a great illustration for my point today. And it just dawned on me, I wonder how many young Christians have ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Every believer ought to read Pilgrim's Progress. It is enlightening in an amazing way. And let me say this, get get the original version. I got the I got the updated language one. It's not good. Put up with the uh, old English language because when they update the language just like they've done with the scripture, it I'm not talking about losing the 
romanticism or the poetic language. I'm talking about the meaning. I started reading the new abridged modern language Pilgrim's Progress and I tried to labor through it, thought, oh, you're just being critical and blah, blah, blah. Every page I'd run across something. It's like, that's not the way that it was in the original. That's not saying the same thing. So finally I just said, phooey, I ain't reading that. Read the old one. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. It'll enrich your Christian life and experience. I believe every believer ought to at least have heard of Pilgrim's Progress and read it. John Bunyan, God used the trial and testing of his faith to write a book that would help you and I and for generations to come make it through the testing and the trial of our own faith. Let me recap these points real quick. When you lose faith, you blame others for your problems. Number two, when you lose faith, you start living for immediate gratification. Number three, when you lose faith, you reject the old and you look for something new. Number four, when you lose faith, you become ungrateful and unmindful. Number five, when you lose faith, you worry more about what others think of you than what God thinks. And point number six, when you lose faith, you give up easily. Conclusion. Real simple conclusion, folks. We need the power of God. We need it desperately. And it doesn't come from a concert. It doesn't come from an emotional stirring. How many times have we seen some type of a revival meeting or some type of a tent meeting where they stir up emotions and they gain a response, but it's all short-lived? It just doesn't last. We need something that is far greater than some emotional manifestation where, wow, that was good. Something that we don't necessarily... I mean something that's so powerful that we don't go bragging on it. We're, we're scared to even talk about it because it's so powerful that we don't even know what to say about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 4, Paul said to a very carnal church, He said, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, why that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God's power comes from God's truth. And it's simple. It doesn't have to be an emotional experience. It just simply has to be the truth in information, and in our will, and in our heart, we say, I believe, God, that your word is true, and we take it by faith, and we hang on to it. Eventually, we find out that it's not us hanging on to God, it's God hanging on to us. Too many people's faith today stands in a movement, or a man, or a message. It needs to... Listen... I, I, I thank God for testimonies of somebody that has a conversion experience that's very emotional. But that's not the power. The power is in 
the changed life. And I close with this. Isaiah 59, verse number 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But, the prophet says, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Sound familiar, brothers and sisters? It sounds much like our culture today, even our Christian culture. God's hand is not, his hand's not shortened that it cannot save. His ears aren't heavy that he cannot hear. He hears and he still has the same power to transform our lives and to answer our prayers and to be as real as if he were sitting here in this congregation with us today. The power is still there. It's still available. But we need to take a look in the mirror and recognize what has separated us from our God. And it starts with us. Until we find our faith once again and start doing the right things, trusting God for the right outcome, there is little or no hope for a lost world to see and recognize the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we won't trust Him, how can we expect that a lost world would trust Him? I want to encourage all of us here today. Let's not be like Jeshurun. Yeah, we waxed fat. We are Laodicea. But just because the whole, as a general, is Jeshurun and Laodicea doesn't mean that you and I have to be Laodicean Christians. Let's repent. Let's get our hearts and our lives right and let's start trusting the Word of God and doing everything in our life to the best of our ability in obedience and following of the Word of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your patience and your mercy toward Israel. I thank you for your patience and your mercy to the church. And Lord, I publicly thank you for your patience and your mercy to me personally. Lord, I have to you that I've had many times here in the last, really in the last year or two, where I've lost faith in some things. I thank you, Lord, for speaking to my heart, for giving me this message, not just for the listeners, but for me. I pray, God, that you would stir our hearts and strengthen our faith, help us to trust you, help us to not let anything come between us and you, that we might experience your power and your blessings in a special way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Head seat, uh, heads bowed, remain seated. The altar is open. If God spoke to your heart here today, I'd like to invite you to come and do business with God.
Why don't you just step out of your seat, come down to an old-fashioned altar, tell God what's on your heart. If you haven't been living by faith, you've been walking by sight, why don't you just come down here and say, God, I'm sorry. I've not been trusting you. And I know that you're trustworthy. Would you forgive me for my unbelief? I think we all know the last year and a half or so just seems like life is nothing but curveballs. Just things coming at us that we can't control, we can't understand, we don't know who to trust, we don't know what to trust. Why don't we just all just put all that aside, quit worrying about it, because we've got a book right here that we can trust it. It's trustworthy. Forget about all the other nonsense, all the clamor, all the clutter, all of the traps and distractions of Satan. And let's just be children of faith. Children of gratitude. Children that are willing to wait on God's answer God's blessings rather than trying to take control of things ourselves. Oh my, I'm probably the worst at that. God help us. Praise the Lord. Let's stand to our feet. Good to see everyone this morning and I hope that God has spoke to your heart today. I'm going to ask Brother, um, Brother Ralph Harding to close us in a word.